0: you <laughs> Thanks for joining me. My name is Rob Dwyer, and you are listening to episode two of Next in Q. I I am really excited today to have my special guest, Trevor Clark, who is the founder and CEO of ShiftOff, to join me. So, welcome, Trevor. It's great to have you. Thanks, Rob. Really happy to be here. Appreciate it. Yeah, I. I you know, I think this is um, a great example of how you actually can meet people on LinkedIn that are worth talking to. (laughs) And in a pandemic. (laughs) Yeah, and in a pandemic. You know, a lot of people talk about how, um, you know, people will hit them up on LinkedIn and they get annoyed by it. But I actually reached out to you on LinkedIn after reading an article that you wrote. Uh, This was back in April, I believe. And uh, I was really just curious to learn more about your business just because I like to keep up on these things. And so uh, we got to talking and and we talk uh, relatively often these days. And so it's been great. And I'm I'm really happy that we've been able to get to know each other a little bit. And now we get to know each other even more.
1: Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm, it's nice to hear somebody read an article that I read. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, I I confess I'm kind of nerdy like that. I do read right. articles and uh and yours was uh really good. So um let's talk a little bit about um, you know, where you are from and kind of where you're coming from. So you're down in Florida, right?
1: Yeah, I live in Tampa right now. I, I've been in Florida my whole life. So there's not very many of us that go back, you know, six generations. Florida, it's not something I, I often uh, brag about, but um Yeah, I grew up in Ocala, which is, if you know of it, it's like a really famous horse town. But when I was growing up there, I didn't realize it was um, known for horses or anything. And uh, (laughs) I lived in uh, uh, Orlando for a bit, uh, Gainesville for a bit, and uh, moved to Tampa about two years ago. Tampa is, in my opinion, uh, the best place in Florida to be. Uh, So I really like it here. So it's really uh, growing a lot, too.
0: Yeah, I love tampa ybor city is just a a great little place and you know uh being out there and getting a cubano that's like that's good stuff it's very Uh,
1: such a such a cool little town uh when we have visitors come in town uh we actually we'd make sure that's a a stop because you know if you like great spanish food they've got the columbia down there which is just a like an experience and then um like the old cigar factories and uh, amazing coffee i mean oh my gosh uh, i might go over there after this and, and go have one <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. I, i'd like to say that little restaurant is amazing but it's not little it's actually a really large restaurant
1: <laughs> massive yeah, yeah. There's,
0: yeah. There, there's rooms upon rooms I, I i've been there probably three
1: or four times and i think i discover a new look new new spot in there every time there
0: so it's pretty good yeah it absolutely is So you went to uh, UCF, is that right? Go Knights! Yeah. Yeah. Uh, National
1: champions, 2018.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're they're undefeated season, which only UCF recognizes as a national championship.
1: (laughs) It's on it's on the uh, the stadium. It's actually written on the on the on the side, (laughs) just like any other you know deserving national championship team.
0: I mean, (laughs) hey there are flaws in the model and they absolutely deserved an opportunity. So I I say, um, go for them. So you got, um, you went for the really, really exciting degree at UCF. Is that that right? Uh, you mean
1: finance? The best
0: degree there is. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah. I, I love, uh, I love numbers. Like I love, I love finance, love business. That's really so here, here's the story on that I, I didn't know uh exactly what path to take when i went to college um i started off uh <laughs> i started off thinking um marketing or sales but I, that was really early and so i decided you know the best thing to do was uh to go right into uh into internships so i ended up spending a lot of time during college in internships um and so the first internship i had i i uh <laughs> was very very green very new i looked around and i thought I looked at the accounting department, I thought, wow, that's really where the movers and shakers are. <laughs> so <laughs> but they know everything about the business. I I, I kind of, obviously they do, but I, I I got into accounting the following year thinking that's really an interesting place to go because I always wanted to know the root of the business. I wanted to make decisions. I wanted to be part of how I operated and how it grew. I wanted to be sure. integral, right? And I thought accounting, that's where it should be. Now I went into accounting, uh, I, I love accounting uh, I, in some ways, but I got, um, I just found that I, I didn't love how black and white it was. It was just, there was not much room for creativity. And so um, then I said, well, those finance guys over there, they're having a lot of fun. They're, you know, running models and um, and making decisions uh, on the forefront of the business, not just, you know, reflecting on what's already happened. And so, the um, yeah, long story short, and it's not really a great story, but I just sort of you know, Plinko boarded my way into into finance, really loved it. And what it what it gave me is an opportunity to really just get into the get underneath the hood on on business. Um, So when I got my first job out of college, um, having that finance background, and then also having this sort of curiosity about how how the business worked, um, Yeah, I started working in a a call center, but in a, like a, a business analyst type of role. And so now looking back, what a perfect place to be uh, an analyst is at a call center because uh, it's just one giant puzzle and math problem, and uh, nice. in business in business problem. So I, I had a ton of fun, needless to say, and uh, kind of just just nerded out really on on the whole industry, and, and uh, I still am. So uh, so it worked out pretty well.
0: Wow, that's awesome. I'm glad you didn't get into creative accounting because you'd probably be in jail right now. So I'm glad yeah. that. Glad that you went the direction that you did. So, um, that business analyst role—that was with the uh, telecom, right?
1: Yeah, I started off in telecom at Frontier Communications. That was my actually. It was an internship that turned into a full-time job. So, uh, for anybody that's in college, uh, I always think you know, like, get that degree, but but don't just do that. Like go in there and just start working, and it opens a lot of doors. So, I was very fortunate. I worked for Frontier um, in the call center group, and then. That sort of led to more opportunities, um, even some entrepreneurial projects and uh, really exciting stuff. So uh, I feel very fortunate to have landed there uh, straight out of college.
0: So what was your favorite part uh, or, I guess, favorite role or, um, you know, what did you get the most excitement out of while you were there with with Frontier?
1: Hmm. When I, so the very beginning, I I kind of started off on budgeting. So. Budgeting is an interesting exercise because you're you're thinking forward, and and it's really I think it's annoying to most departments because you know I'm knocking on the door and say, hey what what's your budget you know let's get your numbers together or hey you overspent you know something like that it's not very fun for everyone else but it's kind of fun uh, for me because you get to you know when when you start off running the numbers for for planning you end up in a in a really important position for strategy so then you you think well I've got this many resources. I need to accomplish these goals. What's the best way to do that? And so to me, that just, you know, that was probably the most interesting part that sort of evolved into, you know, more and more uh, planning and strategy and analytics and um, curiosity, all the things that sort of kind of sparked my development in this particular industry. Uh, I also uh, I also thought forecasting uh, was was an interesting uh, thing to explore, right? Like, why Why do I think this is going to be the future? And how do I know? Um, and and then the other reason that's important is, you know, well, I'm going to be held accountable if this thing's wrong. Right. So, so I need a really good reason for why this is, why I'm saying that this should be our plan. Um, and so I, I just always, you know, I'm always trying to, to understand sort of where, where the end goal which to get to the end goal, but then also sort of do as much as I can to, to understand how to get there and, and why I think the path we're on is the right one. Um, I think in general, that's, uh, that's, I mean, that's, that's business, that's entrepreneurship, that's, yeah. that's leadership, you know, that's how, that's how you should be thinking, or at least that's how I think. Um, so, uh, Anyway, I, I might have missed the end of your question but I, I that's kind of where my head is on it yeah
0: no i love that i think a lot of people in the contact center space uh often are not thinking about the budget and that's okay it may not be their role to think about the budget or think about budgetary constraints or the the financial goals of the organization but a lot of the decisions that are made whether they revolve around staffing, marketing, new yeah. technologies, whatever the case may be, like all of those start with the budget, right? This is yeah. <laughs> this is how much money we plan to make, this is how much money we plan to spend, right? And keeping track of that and making adjustments along the way is critical to a business's ultimate success.
1: Yeah, and, and really, you know, it forces you to solve problems. Like, so if you're trying to, if you know where you're going, you're going, where your, your North star is, well, it forces you to, to actually build on where you are today. I mean, I don't, I don't know that there's many really good planning sessions that start off saying, well, we're just going to coast, you know, (laughs) (laughs) kicking my feet, keep kicking my feet up and this is where it's going to go. And and fine. I would, that's an interesting thing. It's not that interesting from a planning and. I need more activity. So I look at it and say, right, what, what could we do? Like what, what would be really amazing? And so it forces you to get creative. And so to your point with, with, with cost and revenue and all these things that are core to your business, you start thinking, well, how could I be a better partner for my clients or how could I, uh, or or if you're direct to, to your customers, you it's more of a consumer, how do, how do I increase the the funnel or or increase my conversions or retain more customers or uh, and then you look at the other end and you say, well, could I do this more efficiently or is there some technology I can invest in that makes me better or in some way, whatever the goal may be. And, and so to me, that's that's really exciting. Then you think then you start thinking about what's possible. And and to me, that's how we kind of move forward in, in any industry. And, and you have to be thinking that way or you know, someone else will. And and it, it probably won't be you. Right. So um So i think of it uh, to me that's kind of where all the creativity and growth and opportunity sort of starts for a business and how do you think about the future
0: yeah so i mean i think that's a great segue into discussing your your current venture shift off because uh, that was how i you know reached out to you because you wrote this article and i was like "Mm -hmm." so uh, tell us a little bit about how ShiftOff works and kind of what separates what you are doing from the the traditional call center model.
1: Yeah, so ShiftOff really is a, uh, think of it as a, a technology platform that connects call centers and contact centers to the gig economy. And, um, you know, Uber is a great example of how a gig economy model can work. Um, the the genesis of this idea, I mean, I actually, I actually had this sort of thought, and many of us did. I'm I'm not alone. That when um, you know Uber started to come out, and, and we started to see how that was working, and actually it was really great. Um, uh, wow, you know, call centers really <laughs> could use something similar. You know, we have we have uh, peaks and valleys in demand, and you have um, typically a fluidity and and, and uh, volatility in, in what the customers need that doesn't match at all what an, an individual needs in their life. So I don't think fluidity and volatility go hand in hand with an, a person's career. Um, and so we looked at I I always think there's a mismatch in the way we operate call centers um, to basically be there for our customers. And I experienced that firsthand when a few fast forward, a few years when I was uh, doing workforce management at Frontier, I actually left Frontier after like seven years and then, did a stint at a, a biotech company doing finance, more pure finance, not really call centers, but I had a lot of fun there. And then went back and did some more call center work for frontier. And I was like, kind of expecting to come back into the call center in- industry. And somebody had figured this out by now. We are already, you know, we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're shaping demands. Like we're, we're way more efficient. And I, and I looked at it and I said, well, I'm still having this issue where I can't actually meet my demand or I'm, certain days where I'm, I've got really low productivity and in re- other days where I'm, you know, queuing up for uh, out, not hours, but you know, longer than I'd like to be. Right. And, and so I just like, well, man, I still think this would work. And so um, not being able to shake the idea and, and fortunately having met uh, my co-founder uh, Ty, he, he and I just started talking about this and it, it's interesting when you think, you know, Ty's background, uh, he doesn't come from call centers. And, and so in fact that's probably a really good thing because we were able to come up with uh, some really interesting solutions and in fact we we took a lot of the models that you see um, in, in the energy sector where he he was actually part of buying uh, buying and selling I'm not going to be able to de- describe his world very well uh, it's still sort of like this puzzles me but you know when you know states like Texas where the the uh, the energy markets are a little bit more open. You can, you know, you can switch your energy provider kind of like you switch insurance providers. And so um, for, for those companies to be profitable, they've got to be really good at forecasting demand and um, not staffing to it, but um, because there's, there's not people that's buying energy Right. and the way they sort of match that up because they have to have a perfect match on the demand to the, to the supply. Otherwise they go out of business. And so we, you know, obviously it, it's not a human uh, thing where you're, you're not doing the same thing with a human, but we can do it with a gig economy model where we create peaking algorithms that help us sort of stay, you know, as close to that curve as we can. And again, you get the better customer service performance, uh, lower queue times, um, and uh, lower cost. Um, and then specifically today, I mean, a lot of people really want to work these kind of jobs. Um, and so I, I was, I think it kind of takes some of the pressure off of, uh, internal teams to like put people in, in roles where they don't want or, or schedules where they don't want them. And that triggers attrition, but this gig economy, they want to work at 6 PM or, or, you know, for an hour in the morning. So I, I see it as a solution to, um, a lot of problems. And so anyway, we, we developed some technology, we, um we started testing it and and brought in uh, a couple clients actually that were really excited about what we we're doing and uh we uh and we told them we said hey look we haven't done this yet <laughs> uh, do you want to- <laughs>
0: um
1: are you okay with it and they're like yeah this is great let's try it and so uh you know we we use that as an opportunity to really dial in sort of what worked um really happy with the results really happy with i think the uh the opportunity in this particular space within contact centers um and so now we're we're really just looking at you know growing and 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 doing a really good job with our clients.
0: Uh, that's awesome. You, you know, you touched on a number of things that I think are worth exploring a little bit more. Uh, one of those things is just the complexities of of workforce management. I think um, people who work in contact centers that aren't involved in workforce management uh, are either really bored by it or uh, that's the department they don't like because that's the department that's asking them to um, change their schedule, add extra hours, go home early. It maybe is in charge of approving or denying time off that they might need or whatever the case may be. But you talked about it earlier, like it's this huge puzzle yeah. and it's really complex. And I think a lot of people who aren't necessarily in the contact center industry don't necessarily understand that. So what were some of the things that um, you learned when you were working in workforce, aside from just the fact that, you know, it's hard to get all of these pieces to to match up together?
1: Well, that's exactly it. I mean, it, it is complicated. Um, and maybe the, your, your first, um, well, at least my experience when I was first getting my arms around it, um, what I thought the right math was, wasn't really the right math. And then you dig in a little further and you say, Oh wait, it's, you know, there's, there's lots of things to care for. In fact, um, yesterday I was, uh, I was helping a, somebody else think about how to price something related to workforce management. And he, he was asking me, um, if I could just give him a quick estimate, like off the top of my head of like what to expect. And I was like, yeah, I give it a try. And he, he tells me what's going on. And I, um, uh, I didn't realize, it took me a minute to realize what I was doing, but as as I was thinking out loud, I listed probably 15 different things I needed to know to be able to give him a good exam, good estimate. And uh, I was like, I, I stopped at the end, I was like, that's not what you asked for, but, um, and I'm sorry that I can't give you something super simple, but unfortunately it is kind of complicated. And I could, you know, you could send it, you could send the the staffing models or, or and, you know, pricing is a good way of thinking about it too. You, it could go so many directions and there's so many variables um and they all interrelate a little differently so t- to me what i've learned is you have to really develop a feel for that and you have to you have to really uh try a lot of stuff and and spend probably way too much of your time in a spreadsheet or in some uh erlang calculator to uh to really feel how it goes um but until for me when it's, once i got the feel for it I, I felt way more confident um but i think it's really important that you you really base your Understanding of workforce management, your forecasting, your staffing, your scheduling, uh, all all that, everything that goes into that, uh, even your intraday management, um, into some, some some, like again, base it on the science and and try to get to a point where you feel it, um, and and then it, then it starts to make sense. I, I can I can have those conversations with workforce people, where we we almost like complete each other's sentences because we all have a feel for the math. So the people that have the feel, I feel like are deeply and they deeply understand it and it's hard to get there it takes a while I'm, I'm sure it's a lot like anything that you have to practice at for a long time
0: yeah for sure i mean i think there's both uh, the the science to it and then there's the art which is right just kind yeah. of understanding little nuances and how they might impact things unexpectedly and yeah. and the the scale right i think that's another piece that people don't understand and you and i have talked about this before That it's so much easier to deal with a a really large amount of volume and to work through that on a workforce um, side versus you know i have just a small amount of volume and oh i think i only need a few people and it turns out it it doesn't work really well like that
1: no it's 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 hard to run a smaller operation i think um you have fewer levers right Mm -hmm. i always i always think about when I was when I was working at Frontier, there would be times where we would maybe expect something to you know we would need to be planning for. Maybe it was a, a pricing change to our customers, something to drive a bunch of volumes, just an example. And we we look at it and say, "How are we gonna how are we gonna meet that demand?" And we would go through these extensive. I'm, I'm sure the team was really annoyed at me <laughs> for going <through laughs> so detailed, but we 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 identify you know at one point you know 50 or 60 levers meaning little things that we can do that can get us there. Um, when you have a, an organization of a couple thousand people, 50 or 60 levers, I could have probably had more. If we were just coming up with ones that we could actually work with. Um, when you have, you know, 5, 10, 20, 50 people, um, your options get a lot m- more limited. And and it's frankly, it's a lot more expensive um, per call. When you look at what how much work people are able to do, it's just there's this economy of scale uh consideration um that gets a lot easier like you said with big numbers and gets really kind of clunky with small numbers so yeah um, definitely a, something in call centers you have to be aware of
0: yeah i i mean i think we both know this but it's something that in general you know people who are involved in contact or maybe they just have a small business right and maybe they're looking for uh, to set up their own internal call center, or maybe they're looking at an outsourcing partner, um, they may not realize that it it gets actually pretty expensive when you're dealing with those smaller numbers versus those those bigger numbers. You can actually deliver that service uh, more efficiently and, and more cost-effectively.
1: It's a really good point, because the easy number to look at is the expense, right? So you could look at that and you say, oh, that's expensive. Yeah. Um, and you and you might shy away. In fact, I I, I see it a lot where you um where, where, where you, you look at the expense number, you say, well, that's it's crazy to spend any more to, to support my customers, or it might be so shocking that you just never want to actually put the money into it that it probably deserves. Um and so you you, you understaff or you you keep your hours of operation contained, or something that's probably good for your expense line, but not great for your customers. And what ends up happening is, um, which is more more problematic and, and more of a silent kind of killer is where your customers are, you know, can't get a hold of you when they want to get a hold of you. And there's not a whole lot of surprise that we all are increasing our expectations around customer service. I mean, I can probably go on my phone right now and have a package delivered this afternoon, right? right. So, like, you know, we're not really interested in waiting. Um, I think as customers, we expect in in some ways, companies to be there on our terms, um, not, uh, you know, I don't want it, we don't want it to be too difficult to work with the people we spend money with. Um, And so I've seen, it's interesting, I've seen uh, contact center, smaller contact center operations do like a nine to five kind of schedule with a handful of people. And so, um, you know, during the day, there's probably a lot of call volume and maybe there's a queue. But more interestingly, um, outside of nine to five is actually when a lot of people call. And so we we've done some modeling. It's like, oh wait, that, there could be like forty percent of your leads are you might be missing because you're not picking up before nine and after five or or Saturdays or something like that. But when you start to extend your hours, especially, and then extend your days, you're going from uh, a call center operation that might cost you a couple thousand a month to maybe twenty or thirty thousand. So to to small business, that's that's huge. Uh, so I, I again, I think. Um, I think the trade-off really, you know, that's a huge amount to spend. But it, did you make up for it because you got forty percent more sales? I don't know, or right. or some percentage of sales. Uh, it's a, it's a hard thing to understand. And um, anyway, that's that's my perspective on it. I, I see that a lot with the smaller centers, and it's it, it's a tough balancing act.
0: It is. Yeah, I mean, lost revenue isn't something that's easily documented, right? If I have okay. limited hours of operation, um, or um, I, maybe even right from a service level perspective, when when potential customers are calling in and they're waiting longer than they want to, and so they just hang up and they call someone else, yeah. it's hard to measure what you're losing out of that. Yeah, it's really easy to measure what the expense is going to be to, to be able to yeah. support extra business, but it's hard to measure um, what you might be losing. So, shift off this this is the first company that you've just kind of started right uh, prior to yeah. that you had been just yeah. you know working for the man as we say yeah so sure. tell me about that experience like what has been the the hardest thing about that and then what's been the the biggest pleasant surprise hmm. that's a good question um So
1: even though I've technically worked for the man, as you put it, uh, (laughs) uh, I've always kind of had this uh, objective of mine to get, uh, to become an entrepreneur, uh, legitimately an entrepreneur. I had an opportunity when I worked for Frontier. I mentioned a minute ago, um, It started off in the call center, but we ended up up, uh, starting a company within Frontier. So um, it was very um, intrapreneurial, as a lot of people would call it. the, uh, the advantages you get to be a part of growing something. It's exciting. Everyone's wearing multiple hats and, um, we had some really good success. So, I mean, it was, it was a ton of fun. Uh, the, the other benefit to it is that you don't actually have to worry about payroll or cash flow or anything like that. So, so it's, um, it's a different, um, you know, that, that's a definitely a, a a stressor that wasn't part of the equation, which is good. Um, so I had a lot of fun doing that. I, I looked, On my career, I say, wow, that was, that was tremendous. Um, And then when I went to that biotech company, there were high growth. And um, again, same thing. I I just love that environment where you're building something and you're, and you're sprinting. And so um, as, uh, as I sort of approached the end of my last, uh, well, actually when I realized that this, this whole problem hadn't been solved uh, actually um, that's when I decided, man, this would be really interesting to explore. And so here, here we are. Um, being, being, a, a an entrepreneur now, um, it's, it's a hard experience to put into words. Um, it's, it's, I, I tell people, um, I tell people I'm having, like, I don't know how I would be anything else at this point. Um, like it's, it's just such a, a rewarding and challenging, uh, experience that you, where you kind of put yourself to the test um and so I, I that's for me that's the excitement um it uh anyway I, I don't know how to put it into words um one of the things i always say though is uh when you when you're an entrepreneur that you're you're kind of um i, I don't know what want to say alone but it there's not that many people next to you like when you're in a bigger company you've got an organization that you know every you know, bumping into each other in the hallway or maybe before 2020, but uh, huh. you, you have, you have people around you uh, when you're an entrepreneur, it's easy to be, a, be by yourself. And so one of the things if you see me, I'm in this like little phone booth thing. I'm actually sitting at a place called Embark Collective, which is in Tampa, one of the, it's actually the fastest growing uh, startup hub in Florida. Um, and it's backed by some really cool people. and And for me, what I get out of it is, Um, I can look around the room right now and I I see people all all now friends of mine that uh, we're all kind of going through the same stuff and we we run into the same challenges. And and again, you don't you can't delegate these challenges because you you are that's you now. uh, So you have to find your way through it. And so it's really nice to have a support uh, around you, access to uh, information that you never had before, um, connections to people that you wouldn't have known. Otherwise, it's uh, it's it's pretty awesome. Um, Actually, you know what? I'm not sure. When we would have ever met had I not jumped into this. so it's it's been from that perspective, i've I've made a lot of good friends and and met a lot of great people along the way so far.
0: yeah, it's interesting to me that uh, I feel like one of the things that I've talked about um, be, because I have a, a history with it, and I feel like I can add value that I talk about on LinkedIn and other other places about the value of coaching and and having um, someone to, to be able to help you work through things, right? A coach isn't there to tell you exactly what to do or to do it for you, but there's someone that can help you work through to make improvements or or to make decisions. And it sounds like that, that environment is exactly what you're getting, is you're getting coaching yeah. from other people who are actually getting the same thing from you which is great
1: oh that's a definitely a peer coaching element going on uh, what i forgot to mention actually is that there's like 12 uh, probably the wrong, number wrong but there's 12 advisors that are part of this community that i have access to so like um if i need somebody you know i i need to talk to somebody who's experienced uh you know i make just making an example, like what's it, you know, setting up a C-corp. Yeah, you know, I've never done that before. Right? right. What, what do I need to know? You know uh, how do I you know make sure that I'm, you know, doing stuff that we probably never, you know, we take, kind of take for granted. Like how do I make sure I'm paying my taxes or, <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> little detailed stuff that you have to make sure you're doing right. So you have all these uh, people around you um, to guide that have been there. Um, and then on a more strategic level, to your point, it's real coaching. Like uh, one of, one of the, Coaches here, says, well, I just sit here and ask questions. And I said, well, just keep doing that because it forces me to think the right way. So coaching to me is, is you have to have it, or I personally have to have it. I think most of us do. Uh, it makes a big difference in your trajectory. So, you know, if you're, if you're looking to sort of grow and become a better leader, better, you know, whatever you're trying to become, I, I feel like having mentorship and people uh, around you to help you kind of down that path, I think is, is crucial for sure.
0: So I'm curious, and I think we all recognize that the last, you know, it's been a, a, a little over a year and a half now is uh, for, for most of us who are alive has been pretty unprecedented and the, the things that have changed are not things maybe that we ever thought about. I'm, I'm wondering if anything about, you know, the events of of 2020 and kind of into 2021 have um, changed how you approach things or how you look at things, and and what lessons maybe you've drawn from that.
1: Hmm, that's a good question. I I remember um, the first like two or three weeks of the pandemic. Uh, I had this realization that we had all been kind of going too fast. Like uh, I was a little bit well. It was probably more. Personal, but I imagine there's a lot of people that can relate that when we got that little pause where we, we were sort of hunkered down for a little bit. Uh, I think it opened, uh, at least opened my mind to a better way of working. Um, you, you know, it, it's important to be about your your family and your friends and home, and and that, that i it really opened my mind to, or my, opened my eyes to, you know, how much maybe some of that was lacking. And so, um. Now the pendulum swings too, because then you do that for too long and you're like, okay, I'm kind of bored now. Let's go back and do some stuff. And and that certainly happened. Um, but I think what we'll never, or I'll personally never um, erase from my experience and that is the value of autonomy and control over your time, where you work, when you work, uh, what you work on, uh, and, and having some, some control over that, I think is... Uh, it's important to me and it appears to be really important to a lot of people because we're seeing uh, a, an evolution in the market or in the in the labor market where, um, you know, uh, wages are, are certainly on the rise and, you know, not here to say whether that's right or wrong. I think I think we've been underpaying a lot of people uh, for sure. Um, but then also um, to be to have the freedom to decide, you know, at any level in an organization, you know, what your work is like. Um, I think that's I think that's a benefit I think we're gonna walk away from. and I think when we solve it, I think we're all gonna be a lot happier and more productive. Uh, so so for me, that's probably the biggest takeaway uh, professionally, uh, for sure. Um and I, th- I think it changes a lot of how we all operate and how we should all be thinking about business. So to me now that, now there's a trem- tremendous amount of opportunity for us all to figure this
0: out. Yeah, I know, you know personally, things changed pretty drastically for me. And, you know, one of the things that you hit on was, uh, you know, that pause and and kind of reflecting. I, I have found personally that I've been talking to people in my life that I have not talked to some for decades, like literally just like, oh, okay, now right? These these Teams meetings and Zoom meetings are a thing, not that they haven't been a thing, right? The technology's been there for a long time. Um, and while our social life was kind of forced to change, it also opened up an opportunity to reach out to people that maybe, you know, I can't go meet up at a bar and talk to, but we can just, you know, sit and you know, share a drink and talk and, and catch up about life and, and those kinds of things that I don't think that would have ever happened mm-hmm. had the these events not transpired. I just don't think it would have happened. So yeah, I hear what you're saying there for sure. Um, as far as, you know, people reevaluating, I, I think that's pretty obvious. I think anyone who looks at the labor market today Um, Lots of people will have different opinions on um, what that means and the causes behind it. But I think we can all agree that it's very real and it's a problem to be solved. And um, for every business, you have to be realistic about where things are today. You can complain about it and... Not do anything and suffer the consequences, or you can try and figure it out.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I, I think, I mean, we, call centers is just a great example of where I think there's an opportunity. I mean, com- coming from you know, the workforce management side, I mean, like you said, that a lot of people didn't really don't really like workforce management because it's these are the guys telling you what you know schedule you're going to work for the next month, right. or two. Yeah. and and if you're depending on you know maybe luck of the draw or maybe how long you've been somewhere or whatever the case may be that that schedule could be changing frequently or it could be, uh, not what you like. <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and it's hard to balance that with family and and other commitments. And frankly, frankly, like that, those things really are important. Um, so I, I do think call centers are going to have to figure out another way to to sort of do this or, or maybe find new ways of, of maybe matching the, the needs and demands of the customer and their the customer experience and, and potentially prioritizing, not potentially, it has to put more priority and more focus on the agent's experience. Uh, so anyway, the, the old way of doing things, I think it's gonna have to get interrupted a little bit. Uh, and then I think it, as far as they might sound pretty scary, but at the same time, if you can crack that code, imagine what that does to your customer experience imagine what it does to your business and and how happy the people are that work for you i mean what's more important than that so um so again i look at it as opportunity and exciting times ahead as you know but i'm sure a lot of people are nervous because it's not evident it's not really clear how to do that yet so that's how i see potentially that our industry kind of evolving
0: yeah no that's that's fascinating to think about so i'm curious right you've um, you've been in the contact center world in a variety of of ways for for quite some time now. Number one, like what do you see as kind of um, emerging as the next new thing aside from how we treat workforce? Um, but number two, are there are there any major concerns that you have about the industry going forward?
1: Yeah, I mean, I do think that a lot. A lot of my focus is on the on the staffing operations of it. Um, obviously, there's going to be really exciting things ahead for you know machine learning and AI, and I think that's that's going to be really interesting and, and great to watch unfold. But I think for me, where I'm mostly um, concerned about and and interested in right now is uh, the uh, back to the way we work. Um, so I mean, I, I look at um, I look at any outsourcing company right now. This is something i have kind of been talking with a lot of people about, just to get their thoughts on. But I, I look at outsourcing companies. I say, especially ones based in the U.S. I say, well, man, it's going to be really hard for them to to stay afloat for you know right this moment with the with the wages we were talking about going up with the you know, it's not as flexible in the revenue. You have to go back and renegotiate your w- rates and all this stuff, and it puts a lot of things in flux. And if I were in that that position right now, I'd pro- probably be trying to look for opportunities to to sort of fix it or uh, you know keep my revenue. You know, where I don't have to touch my revenue or touch my rates, um, and try to solve for things like staffing and quality in the back end. I, I really worry about that. That's more of a near term thing. I think it's gonna happen. I think we're all gonna be kind of trying. To, we're all trying to solve that right now. Yeah. Um, so uh, as far as you know, long term, I think that that you know the next probably six or eight months might really shape the future of our of our industry in the U.S. Um, uh, I'm excited to see. Uh, you know, it, it seems like there's an influx of, of new technology that kind of keeps popping up. To you know, I think I think we're starting to see uh, maybe people realizing that we haven't really rethought call centers and. I don't know thirty years, <laughs> so it it seems like you know this is a this is an area of of uh, of opportunity for for technology to really make a big impact. So so those are the kind of things on my mind right now. Um, what about you? What do you think? I'm actually I'm actually curious. I don't I don't think I'm the expert here.
0: Uh, well, I'm I'm no expert either. You know, I, here's the piece that I think you touched on that I think a lot of people. Uh, in the business may or may not recognize and that's the difference between um, the financial impacts for outsourcers who are our partners that are providing contact center services for some other business versus insourcers so insourcers you know at, the wages are are probably increasing for everyone regardless right but as an insourcer uh, it's not just my contact center that I have to worry about from a wage standpoint, right? I've got uh, other people in other parts of the business, but I also have some some other controls on revenue, right? Whether that's um, increasing the the cost of my services or increasing the cost of my product or or finding other efficiencies within the business, there are a lot of ways that I can um, help offset those rising wages. But for outsourcers, as you pointed out, it's a little more challenging because it's harder for an outsourcer to reach out to their partner and say, well, you know what? We just had to um, raise all of our wages a dollar an hour. So we're going to have to charge you more because typically, right, there's a contract. You may be in the middle of the contract. You may have just signed a contract a few months ago. Um, And those companies are seeing their own internal wages rise and the reason often it's not the only reason but one of the reasons that they reach out to outsourcers is for the the flexibility and for that lower cost of of that service from a from a wage perspective right it's less expensive for me to outsource than it is for me to insource and when my outsourcer is saying we need more money that that's a big challenge in that relationship and so i think everyone is focused on getting creative but the outsourcers are almost caught in a little bit of a bind because like we talked about with (laughs) workforce they don't have as many levers to pull right
1: yeah definitely not not right now they're getting kind of squeezed out i think Uh, I, i worry about it i mean being a financial model guy i you know i, I modeled this a couple you know, last week actually and i was uh, you, you take you know th- these outsourcers aren't operating on you know tons of margin so any 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 change in the in the cost of of the agents and by the way agents are you, know, you get 90% of the cost or maybe you kind know, guess is going to the agent so as you know you might look at the the the, the insourcer or the, the the brand saying oh my outsourcer's cost is going up well i really i mean that's really a reflection of of the cost of the wages and so i but to your point you come to a you come to a client that you've worked with for a long time or or maybe you just got into contract and you say oh my gosh uh we have to raise these rates well it's gonna it like restarts the process now you're potentially rolling the dice on on your business uh, it, it's not a conversation you want to have i think the I think the best case scenario is we find ways to to do it better or or maybe find ways to sustain the the rates and and uh, maybe address some of these staffing problems I mean I've always I, I think you know the gig economy could play a role there for sure because you you know most of the costs let's say ninety well, I'm just making up numbers now but let's say majority of the operational cost uh, of like staffing and 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 uh, planning for for schedules and recruiting back to all the things that go into making sure that you have the coverage you need, um, happen on the schedules that cover, uh, called the tails, right? Like, it's like, yeah. nobody really wants to work nights, uh, or <laughs> weekends. I mean, I'm sure there's a few, but you know, yeah. in general, these are really hard. Um, and then not to mention, it's just hard to get the right amount of people right now anyway. And especially because if you're pressured on your P and L, then you might not be able to actually afford, uh, what the market is yielding right now for wages. So if, if you're capped out, at say, you know, 13, $14 an hour, but the market's saying, no, it really needs to be 16, but you can't afford that. That's going to put you in a bad spot. But I think, I think if you, if you're able to come up with a more, let's say optimized uh, staffing model, um, where you're sort of matching, you know, a core group of full-time people, uh, that work nine to five. Actually, they could pick their schedule at that point because you, yeah. you've got you've got this core group that can really do whatever you want, and then you use a gig economy model to sort of supplement and balance those hard to staff intervals, or those peaks, or the or 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 the valleys, whatever it is you're trying to to match your demands to. Well, suddenly I, I think you begin. I think you get to a point where you actually can support those higher wages. Um, you attract way better talent because of that. The flexibility of creating your schedule is you know, that's, that's what people want. They want to have that control. Sure. And if you can do all that and and sustain your margin uh, and sustain your price point, I think it, you become, you know, deadly in the, in the BPO market right now, because, because that's the problem everyone's trying to solve. Uh, And there's not an obvious solution yet, but I I think there's ways to do it. I really do.
0: So the agents that, that uh work for shift off are they all work from home i oh, assume yeah, they are
1: 100% remote yeah
0: yeah i mean it seems like the the work from home model which has uh, been around for a long time i actually was uh, on a panel earlier this summer and we we talked about it and like when i got into contact center uh the the business back in I hate to say this 2009 that's how <laughs> 2009 uh it was work from home then like it's yeah. it's not new but a lot of things have advanced and certainly over the last year and a half i think everyone's aware that you know work from home became this big thing for all kinds of different industries not every industry can do that but a lot of industries including contact centers um made a a shift to work from home that a lot have been avoiding and you know there i think there is some value there in that uh, if contact centers are able to execute really well on work from home then that also helps because as as an agent i don't have a commute right i don't have to use the public restroom, at where, <laughs> wherever you are, I don't have the same kinds of HR issues. So when you're talking about um, the, a brick and mortar contact center, there are all kinds of potential HR landmines just all over the place. And people are working from home; you avoid a, a great many of those things. So definitely uh, a lot of advantages there.
1: Absolutely, I think. Um there may have been like an apprehension for work at home before 2020. Um, but not everyone. I, I think, uh, we, I I've, I've had some work at home vendors, but it was kind of a small segment, right? Mm-hmm. You wanted everyone in the office, but yeah. as you look at it, that was a problem. You know, that's probably the yeah. biggest <laughs> bottleneck in the whole thing. So yeah, uh, if we can get past that, I think it opens up a, a ton of opportunities for, for, Again, where you match the customer experience to the agent experience, work at home is a big part of that, uh, for sure. Yeah, and, I, and the more flexibility you can give people, uh, and still meet those demands, uh, I, I think that's that's how that's the path forward.
0: Yeah, good stuff. So, uh, by the way, I do want to um, talk very quickly about the fact that uh, I put out a poll to name this podcast. You did not name this podcast. Was... I did it because, <laughs> because uh, I I think I might have voted for the one you chose. No you, might no, have to, you, no, you didn't. I didn't. You didn't. Oh, no revisionist history. Yeah, I, 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 I see what you creative Accounting is that what we're doing now? Oh, I think yeah. This is what the one I
1: voted for. This is sure. the kind of like, this is kind of creative accounting that doesn't put me in jail, which
0: is good. <laughs> right. Right. No, you have voted for uh the title thank you for calling oh uh, i did like that one too which was a tight number two it was really yeah. close there were really only two contenders the other two that i had as options there lost soundly it wasn't even close i think there were like three or four total votes um so so i just want to point out that maybe naming podcasts you should just stay away from that um
1: yeah i'm okay with that i can, okay. I can appreciate that for sure <laughs> okay,
0: fantastic. I do like well, your
1: name though. Next in queue is great. I think it's perfect. Well, uh, I, I, both were good. Both were good. It was a I hard choice. It.
0: So you've been in queue now. So how's it been?
1: Oh, it's been phenomenal. It was it was oh. a short wait time. Uh, very well run operation over here. <laughs> 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 well,
0: i I am very proud of uh, our average speed of answer here <laughs> at Next in Queue and uh, trevor it's been my pleasure having you join me today it's been enlightening and i know that a lot of the topics that you've talked about are um, going to be really interesting to the tens of people who are listening to this <laughs> podcast so uh, thanks for joining
1: well thanks for having me it's been really good talking and hanging out with you
0: all right ditto we'll uh we'll talk again soon thanks trevor thank you